0: Hello everybody and welcome to knowledge is power podcast live we're here on the Sunday of April the 16th, 2023 and uh, it's been a while since we've been on here and uh, I had all the new equipment and uh, so we're back on back on live every Sunday so don't forget our Thursday roundtable talk with uh, Chris Jones as your host. Uh, tonight, I got a great guest tonight, tonight that we're going to have a tribute to one of our great pioneers of civil rights leaders, Attorney Emmo Willard III. Um, his son, Dr. David Willard, is our guest tonight, and we're going to have some great conversation about the time of desegregation, segregation, civil rights, Jim Crow era, and the time living in Beaumont, Texas, Knowledge is Power podcast live is a plant a platform to share important information by educating the Southeast Texas African American community with viable information on health, education, financial, uh, politics, uh, and business. Where we try to cover it all. Knowledge is Power podcast live also is now on Facebook, Spotify, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, Apple iTunes, Amazon Music, LinkedIn, and Google Play. Now, at forty-two, let me introduce you to our guest tonight, Dr. David Willett. Hello, Dave. Hey,
1: how are you doing, <laughs> man? I'm great, man.
0: I'm great, man. It's great to have you on as my guest tonight. Uh and those who are listening and watching, you like to ask Dr. Dr. Willett uh, any questions? a link on the side, a comment that you can paste that comment, and uh, we will see that comment. And we were at, Dr. Dr. Willard would will address that and, add, and answer your questions about uh, our topic tonight. Our topic is a tribute to the great pioneer civil rights attorney Ebo Willard III, a community leader in Beaumont and surrounding Southeast Texas. Uh, and he was for, here for us for, for justice. Uh, Dave, you know you and I are probably living in the last living generation of uh, the deep deep south Jim Crow era where we witnessed desegregation yes and uh I was just thinking as I was getting ready to put this show together is that do you know that I was born the year that Emmett Till was was killed
1: wow wow no I didn't know that
0: yeah I'm just going to my stance wow man that's been 60 70 years ago you know wow and yeah, we're still, yeah, and we're still having issues and problems uh, in today's life. So uh, with due respect, I'd like to, and again, I'd like to introduce uh, Dr. David Willett, who uh, Paris uh, was the uh, uh, Elmo and Patricia Willett uh, of Beaumont, Texas. Yep. And and uh, Dave, tell us a little bit about, uh, in the beginning, the Willett family, when it moved to Beaumont in the early 1900s.
1: Yes. Um, So I want to say thank you to you, Tony, and thank you to your audience for having me on uh, this evening. I really appreciate it. Uh, I love speaking about my family and and speaking about uh, the contributions that they've made here to Jefferson County and to Beaumont in particular. So um, I I really appreciate your taking some time out tonight and hope that this is some information that the audience will appreciate and we'll uh, maybe learn a few things from. Um, And so you're right. I need to, you know, we're going to talk, I think, eventually about my dad. But the first thing that I think people need to understand is that my father is a product of his upbringing. He's a product of his family, and uh, as, as am I. But uh, his his my ancestors before me uh, contributed a lot to Beaumont even before my father was born, uh, even before he was thought of and conceived of. I'm going to do a little show and tell for you guys here. i got a couple of things I want to show, uh, and I don't know if people will be able to see this or not. But the document that I'm holding up in front of my face right now, a um, friend of mine found this down at the Jefferson County Courthouse. And that's how the Willard family began. That is the marriage license between mm-hmm. Riley Willard and Margaret Runnels um, here in Beaumont. And it was one year after um, slavery was abolished in the state of Texas, one year after Juneteenth here in the state of Texas. They were both slaves here in Beaumont, Texas. Uh, They got married, and uh, that's how the Willard family began, uh, right here in Beaumont. So the Willard family has been here in Beaumont, Texas, uh, since there was uh, a Beaumont, Texas. And um, out of that union, they had uh, eight children out of that union. Um, A few of them died and, and didn't make it to adulthood. But Elmo R. Willard I, the R standing for Riley, his dad's name, was the first Elmo Willard in the family. Um, He was the eldest of his brothers, surviving brothers and sisters um, and he came out of slavery and began to sort of take care of his brothers and sisters and make a mark for himself here in Beaumont and he did that uh, quite well as a matter of fact. He um, uh, worked at the lumber company, got a job at the lumber company, uh, worked odds and ends jobs here in Beaumont uh, he raced horses, and from what I understand, was victorious, and was a, a good horseman uh, for a while. And then he took up the trade of barbering, uh, which, for people newly freed uh, coming out of out of something like slavery, was a, a good trade to have because you know it, it's almost like um, you know it's almost like the funeral home business, which my family got into also. People gonna always die. People gonna always need a haircut. You know, people are going to always need those kind of services. And because black people had to do for themselves, that was a really good trade for him. Uh, became very successful at that, became very well known here in the Beaumont area, uh, in, in the surrounding area, in Beaumont surrounding area for his um, his his work ethic and his ability to get along with all sides of uh, everyone, black and white here in Beaumont and. Um, I have another document here that I'm going to show, show a picture of my, of my, uh, of my, of of Elmo Willard the first, and this is hanging up in the house that I'm living in now. This is Elmo R. Willard the first. He is my great grandfather and he is the grandfather of Elmo R. Willard the third, my dad. Um, He became, like I said, very well known here in Beaumont. He um, built the first brick home. Uh, in Beaumont, Texas, by an African-American, which is where I'm talking to you from tonight. It's on Gladys Street, right next door to Mercy Funeral Home. It's a two-story red brick building. Uh, It's been in existence for basically about 100 years now. Uh, That's where the Willard family, it was the main homestead of the Willard family, even though there were two other homesteads not too far from here over on Concord Street as well. Um, And it became sort of a uh, a landmark for African-Americans in this in this area, for someone to have come out of slavery and not too shortly after slavery, to be able to build a two-story brick home was something that the community, the African-American community as a whole celebrated. Uh, I heard stories growing up as a kid that, that people actually used to uh, pack lunches and uh, uh, sit out across the street and watch while the house was going up and while it was being built because it was a house for the Willard family, but it was also seen as a, as a real move forward for the African-American community here in Beaumont. Um, he was so well thought of that he even was allowed to sit on juries here in Beaumont, Texas, which is something that if you know your history and you study your history, African-Americans were not allowed to sit in any sort of criminal or civil court proceeding uh, that might, you know, might have um, white defendants involved in, 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 in that case, um, but he was so well-respected and became so well-respected that he actually could sit on juries. Uh, I have another document that is um, from the Southeast Texas State Fair in 1936, and he and his uh, brothers and a nephew um, were, he himself, Elmo R. Willard I, was profiled in this document uh, that's called the it says the Negro Department of the Southeast Texas State Fair. And he's got the date on it. And uh, I have the original document. This is a Xerox. Um, but they ended up profiling him in this document and talking about his, you know, his industriousness and his, um, you know, hard work and how he was respected by all people here in Beaumont and how he and his brothers, along with several other. Uh, pioneering black families here in Beaumont, the Sprout family, the Wallace family, um, the uh, Price family, and several other the older families here, black families here in Beaumont, put together uh, a Negro exhibit hall in 1936 to um, showcase the accomplishments of African Americans throughout the nation, throughout the United States. Uh, they, they banded together, they pooled their resources together, put their money together, and actually created this exhibit hall that Black people and white people could visit. I don't know how many white people visited, uh, but on Negro Day at the state fair, because we could only go out there one day uh, when the fair was here, uh, could go in and learn about the accomplishments of African Americans. And this was 10 years after Carter G. Woodson uh, who had uh, started Negro History Week. He started that in 1926. So in 1936, uh, Elmo R. Willard I, his brother uh, Joseph Willard, uh, his nephew P.H. Uh, Willard, um, and several others, the Wallace family, the Price family, Sprott family, a lot of others were on this committee to sort of put this together. So um, so he did a lot. Uh, he did a lot. He, uh, he, sat, he established the Elmo Uh, Willard uh, addition, which was the housing addition in this neighborhood here on Gladys Street. He put up homes uh, for African-Americans to be able to purchase their own home and reside in. They were both rental properties and properties that uh, they could eventually buy. Um, And that was in this area on Evalon Street, on Gladys Street, and the surrounding area here in the North End. Um, So he he was quite quite a man. I'm, I'm still you know, amazed at what he was able to accomplish, being an African American and coming out of slavery uh, during his time, you know, he he did a lot. Um, and then not only that, but um, he married uh, um, Sarah Adams, and Sarah Adams was the daughter of Elijah Adams. And for some of your older members who might be uh, watching this broadcast, uh, Elijah Adams um, was one of the early. Uh, black educators here in beaumont and adams elementary was actually named after him and adams elementary some form or fashion of that school stood here in beaumont up until 2019 when they tore down the last uh, remaining building for adams elementary uh, in 2019 i think it was the summer of 2019 and so sarah adams was Eliza adams daughter and my grand my great grandfather elmar Willard the first married sarah adams so, on my dad's both my dad's maternal and uh, for, you know fraternal paternal sides, uh, he had uh, people that he could look up to. People who were trying to do something for African Americans. They were trying to better their own lives, but also were trying to better the lives of um, of African Americans in general in this area. And they they managed to do quite a bit. His father and his uncle, uh, my dad's father and uncle created Willard and Willard um, Ambulance Service uh, here in Beaumont. And I'm gonna show this document right quick also. Here is a, uh, a, a, an ad from the Charlton Pollard um, yearbook. Uh, it was called Willard's Benefit Funeral Association. It was Willard and Willard Incorporated. Uh, and it was the first funeral home uh, business and mortuary business and ambulance service uh, business here. In, in Beaumont for African Americans, because even back in that day and time, white people would not bury African Americans. They had nothing to do with black people at all, uh, not alive or dead. And so we we uh, we we had to take care of our own.
0: Right.
1: So my, my grandfather and his brother decided that we would they would step into the fold and and sort of uh, take care of that. And here's a picture of my my grandfather here. Like I said, I'm doing a little show and tell here tonight. Picture, That's okay.
0: That's um, okay. Dang, we need to know history because you know what? I thought I'd do it all, but I'm learning something tonight.
1: There's 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 a lot, and I am I'm 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 seriously amazed at how, how much they were able to do and and, and what right.
0: they back in back in that time, in that era. You know, yeah, I, mean, I mean it's amazing that uh, they uh, are well with a funeral uh, uh, which was on Forsyth Street, correct?
1: Exactly. It was on 4th Street, uh, right there in the heart of of uh, the business di- districts here in, the, in uh, Beaumont for African-Americans at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it stood all the way up until around, I'm going to say that business continued to operate up until about 1965. Uh, I think that's when my father closed it down. He moved back here to Beaumont from law school. Uh, my grandfather had passed away on the the business was still ongoing at that time. And my father was trying to set up his law practice and also run the funeral home business at the same time. And surprisingly, um, uh, William Taft, uh, my wife's grandfather, who started Mercy Funeral Home, actually worked at Willard & Willard. It's where he learned the funeral home business. And he worked under my grandfather and my, my, my great uncle, and he worked with my dad. To try to keep the Willard and Willard Funeral Home business going, wow. and then when they shut it down, he went off and uh, actually a little before my dad shut it down, uh, Mr. Taff went off and bought Mercy, and uh, and Mercy is now the oldest running uh, African American mortuary business here in Beaumont. So, wow, wow. so you know, a lot of people are connected here in Beaumont. There are a lot of African American families, some of the older ones that are that are connected, and you know. And, and the thing I've learned about this in studying this, because I, I was raised on it and was taught a lot of this, but I've learned a lot more since I've moved back here to Beaumont, is that there was a sense of, uh, of connectedness in the African-American community that I'm not sure is still there today. Uh, the families realized that they were up against it and there was a lot that they needed to overcome. Um, and so those that could band it together and tried to work for the benefit of improving their own families and making it good for their own families, but also keeping in mind how they could improve uh, those in the African American community who were maybe less well off than they were, mm-hmm. trying to pull everyone together at the same time uh, as they were trying to move and in, in, in better in better things for themselves also. And it, it, that, that to me is a simply is an amazing thing because you know, it, it was rough going back then, man. It was yes. like life or death. I mean, it could, you know, it could be life or death. It's life or death now, a lot in a lot of instances. But back then, it was it was wild times. You know, so so for them to kind of band together like that and realize that we're in all this together and let's try to help each other out, that's something that I think younger generations can learn from and uh, and 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 try to use today. So, yeah.
0: So your, da- so your dad uh, went off to school at, went off to yeah. college. He went to Frisk, did,
1: did he? He did. He's, he's a product of Charlton Pollard High School and mm-hmm. uh, you know, graduated from Charlton Pollard High School in 1947. He went off to Fisk, and he didn't go off to Fisk alone. Uh, I've kind of told this story before, but... Tell me the
0: story. I didn't hear this story.
1: <laughs> so the, the, the fathers, um, back in that day and time, they actually held a meeting. Um, deciding where their kids were going to go to college. And they were going to send them in mass to wherever they decided from this meeting as to where they were going to go off to school. And at the time, Fisk was one of the uh, best, um, you know, uh, black colleges in the United States of America, one of the best colleges, period, uh, in the country, and was certainly one of the top colleges for African-Americans at the time. And so there were a group of them that kind of got together, fathers got together and said, we're going to send these boys off to Fisk. Uh, W. B. Du Bois, you know, Fisk University, uh, you had the Jubilee Singers, you had all kinds of, uh, you know, renowned African-American educators who were coming out of Fisk and were working at Fisk. And so that's how my father actually ended up at Fisk University. Um, And he went off there in 1947, uh, Saul White, who you might know of, and White's Embassy uh, Building down there on Forsyth Street. Right. He and my father, Saul White Jr. He and my father were best friends, and they went uh, off to fist together along with uh, Perry uh, uh, Perry um, oh, Perry Coleman, who became a barber here in right, right. Um, Perry Coleman and Duhans Barbershop here on. on right.
0: Perry. Right.
1: Um, and about two or three others all went off to Fisk together. I think there was like five or six of them from Beaumont that went off to Fisk together, and, uh, and and that's how they got there. And so yeah, he went off to Fisk in Nashville, Tennessee, in
0: 1947. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That is that's that's great history, man. That's a yeah. great bio. Now, uh, after graduating from Fisk, he went to do his study at um,
1: Howard, right? He did, at Howard Law School. Mm-hmm. And just a little, a little story for that. Um, my dad had two uh, great aunts. Um, and uh, Two aunts, I'm sorry. not They were my great aunts, but two aunts. Uh, Marguerite Willard, and everybody called her pick, and then Vieta Willard. And this whole family, that whole family, there were five children who were raised in the house that I'm in now here on Gladys Street. And to tell you the foresight of my great-grandfather, Elmo Willard I., my great aunts, Aunt Pick and Aunt Vieta, actually graduated from Howard University in Washington, D.C. in 1925 and 1931, respectively. Wow. You think back to, I mean, there were hardly any women in the United States, white or black, who were receiving college educations at that time.
0: Right, right.
1: Howard was considered to be the pinnacle of of, of, of education, of higher education for African Americans back in that day and time and even to this day. As many of your, your people probably know, our vice president now is a graduate of Howard University. Kamala Harris went there, um, along with countless other folks from the time. And my great-grandfather and great-grandmother had the foresight to send their daughters off to Howard University for a college education. And like I said, they graduated in 1925 and 1931, respectively, from Howard University. So this, so the 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 vision that my great grandfather had for his family and for the African American community here at Beaumont was unprecedented it, it blows me away the more I sort of read and the more I find out about some of the stuff that he did but anyway uh, when my when my grand when my my dad graduated from Fisk you're right he went off to Howard University he had met my mom at Fisk University during that time they had gotten married and uh, the, the the two of them uh, pulled up stakes and went off to Howard University School of Law uh, and entered there in 1951 he entered law school in 1951
0: you know, he's he has, he has met some uh high uh he's met some great uh, individual black individuals who are in uh, uh in washington d c also he was invited to the inauguration as well several inauguration of our presidents
1: he was yes um uh, well even in law school uh, my dad finished third in his class at, at Howard law school um, and as he says and I, I found, In some archives down at the Tarot Historical Library that my mom and I donated after my dad died, he had written his own sort of uh, biography for a judgeship that he was uh, nominated for. And uh, it's about a 10, 12 page document. And he talked, it was the first time that I found them because my father was actually, excuse me, uh, Tony, to tell you the truth, of all the stuff that my father did and accomplished. He really didn't talk very much about those things at all.
0: I know. <laughs> I know. I've been to this company many times and we just sat and he never talked about all
1: those things. Yeah, I mean, he would talk with you and laugh and joke, right? And drink with you, you know. He <laughs> <laughs> it was very common. He did not right. he did not talk or brag about the stuff that no. he was involved in and the things that he had done in his life. He really he just really didn't share that kind of stuff. It, it, I was his child, I was his son, and I had an older brother. And he didn't share that stuff even with us, you know. He just didn't really talk about it. But anyway, I found this doc- document that he had written, and I first learned that, uh, of course, everybody knows Thurgood Marshall, and people know James Neiburd, and people know the Brown versus Board of Education decision, nineteen fifty four Brown versus Board of Education decision, that made desegregation that made um, segregation illegal in, in the United States of America. Well, my father worked closely on that case, uh, which I did not know. Um, as he stated in this in this document, and I have it here before me, he said his proudest accomplishment while uh, a student in law school was, um, I want to get the correct name of it. I think it was called the, um, tried to, yeah. He says, um, my most rewarding accomplishment while a law student came when when I was named chief of the student critique team to analyze and critique, analyze and critique the briefs which were filed before the United States Supreme Court in the school desegregation case, Brown versus the Board of Education et al. And he was he worked closely with Thurgood Marshall and James Neighbor. They would come and they would argue this case before these nine. Uh, selected students who were to act as sort of the Supreme Court judges. And they would review the briefs. They would review the argument that the team was putting together and try to tear it apart and try to find holes in it and find out where they might be falling short before the Supreme Court. Um, And I mean, this is one of the landmark cases in the United States of America that's ever gone before the Supreme Court. And certainly the most important case probably that's uh, impacted African-Americans in the United States of America. And here you have a man from Beaumont, uh, right here in our, grew up, grew up, and you know, raised and educated here in Beaumont, Texas, who was an active member of that case. Um, and so, yeah, so his, his his parents and his, you know, grandparents and all the people who had accomplished things before him set him on this path, and he went off to do, you know, great things himself, so...
0: Yeah, he's, he, he's uh, had met and some, with some escalades, escalades of what he's done. He's accomplished a lot. Uh, before coming to Beaumont, I mean, he decided to return to Beaumont. Your yes.
1: decided to return to Beaumont. What
0: year was that? He returned here in 1954. In 1954. Okay. Yeah. So right. we were still in a deep, deep <laughs> Jim Crow uh, desegregation, yeah. desegregation era. And, right. Um, um, right. And again, like I was telling you before the show, we started the show is that um, our generation, and we I say you, our generation, because I remember <laughs> you played on the same, you and I played on the same uh, little league baseball team together. Right. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> but,
1: our generation. Yeah. Right.
0: Right. We were we yeah. are the last last uh, last living generation of uh, desegregation that we witnessed desegregation deeply. Yeah. Right. Uh Well. well and, um and uh, we have a lot that we need to share and I'm, this is the reason why I wanted this to, to continue educating the, the African-American communities everywhere everywhere yeah. about our history about our accomplishments uh, about where we come from how we you know what it took to get where we are now exactly. to look to look back this it's it's, it's it's not I, I look at the news and watch to read the news and they're trying to take us back, but we cannot go back. We've got to stay forward, stay focused. So tell us what, I mean, you know, your dad came here in 1954, started his, his uh, law practice, and he also had film funeral at the same time. So let's move on from that part.
1: Yep. So he comes back, and um, Theodore Johns, who I think everybody also knows here in Beaumont, Theodore Johns right. had graduated in Howard Law School the year before my dad graduated. And he was from Silsby, Texas. And he had moved. That's right. Once he graduated from Howard Law School, he moved here to Beaumont, moved himself and his young family here to Beaumont. And he set up a law practice. And my dad moved back in 1954. Uh, he knew Johns from law school. They reestablished their connections once he moved back home. And they decided to join together and, and form a law firm called Johns and Willard um, Law Firm. And um You know, for for those who are listening, um, Howard Law School was set up for one reason and one reason only. It was set up by a man by the name of Charles Hamilton Houston under the direction of James, uh, under the direction of Mordecai Johnson. Mordecai Johnson was the very first African-American president of Howard University. Mordecai Johnson was a Morehouse man. He was considered one of the three best uh, preachers, ministers, African American ministers in the United States of America, educators and, ed- and ministers in the United States of America. The other two were Howard Thurman and Vernon Johns. And Vernon Johns is the man who preceded Dr. King in Montgomery, Alabama, running the church in Montgomery, Alabama, and sort of. Um, trained that congregation and tried to get that congregation ready for someone like Dr. King to come in and do what they did in Montgomery with the bus boycott. Well, Mordecai Johnson was on that same sort of level with Vernon Johns and with Howard Thurman in terms of respect and in terms of knowledge uh, amongst African-Americans. And he became the first African-American president of Howard University. And he wanted to set up a law school. And he hired Charles Hamilton Houston, to run the law school. Charles Hamilton Houston was the first African-American to graduate from Harvard Law School. And his whole um, mission in life was to use the law to destroy segregation in the United States of America. So when he became head to set up Howard Law School, that's what the mission of Howard Law School was about, to train African-American lawyers to go out across the country and to dismantle segregation by legal means. So here you had two men who had been trained in a law school whose purpose was to go back to their communities and start attacking segregation and do it through the courts. And that's exactly what my dad and what Johns started to do. They set up a law practice, came back here to Beaumont, Beaumont and all of Jefferson County was deeply segregated at that time. There was nothing that African-Americans could do, nothing that they could take part in that was considered to be a part of white society. And the first case that they had was six black golfers who wanted to um, play at the Terrell Park golf course. Um, And this is where it all, this is where the, the interconnections between African-Americans and Beaumont, this is where it really starts to kind of come together. So um, there was a man by the name of Booker Faison, and he was a real estate and insurance man here in, in Beaumont, African-American man. And my dad and Johns rented their law offices from Mr. Faison. Um, he, he had several properties on Washington Boulevard, um, several houses and... Uh, you know, small office buildings and things of that nature. They set up law practice by renting one of his office buildings for their law firm. Booker Faison was a golfer. He liked playing golf and he could not play at Terrell Park because he was black. And he brought his case to my dad and John's to sort of bring a case against the city of Beaumont to uh, sue the city of Beaumont for not being able to play golf. And he did it along with five other black golfers who were all interested in playing out there. It was the first desegregation case here in Beaumont and they won that case. And from winning that case, um, some other dominoes started to fall uh, here in Beaumont also um, um, for, you know, for African-Americans. So to, between the two of them, the law firm of Johns and Willard desegregated everything that there was to desegregate here in Beaumont, Texas, starting with the parks, then the libraries, uh, Lamar University, uh, and finally, they went after the jobs. They went after uh, the refineries and the jobs here in Beaumont, which is, uh, my father talks about that also, and if we get to that point, then I'll I'll read something from his biography that he wrote, which uh, really struck, struck me in terms of um, why they decided to do that and how Johns and my dad played a crucial role in actually helping to bring about the black middle class here in Beaumont by filing those cases. So.
0: I, David, we got a little bit more minutes left. Uh, can you can you share a little bit of uh, with us about that particular uh, uh, event?
1: I can, and, and this is the part that, this is the part that I kind of knew a little bit about um,
0: because yeah. I remember, I remember that time in the late '60s when they fought for uh, jobs, yep. and homes, or uh, mortgages for, for African American communities. Yes, and uh, as a kid, it didn't, wasn't that important to me as it is today. Right, and I, I enjoy the history. I enjoy the uh, what they have accomplished, what they had, what they had to accomplish with.
1: They did, and so I'm gonna let him speak on his behalf uh, in regards to this. And uh, this is what he said in this document that he wrote. After success had been achieved in the courts and through sit-in demonstrations and marches, which also occurred here in Beaumont that a lot of people don't know about, to acquire full citizenship rights for black people in education and public and societal accommodations, I turned my attention to the economic arena Cases were filed to prevent discrimination in employment of black men uh, at several of the area plants where they had been relegated to the quote unquote labor gangs and lowest paying jobs. Cases were filed by me and Mr. Johns against Jefferson Chemical Company, Texas U.S. uh, Chemical Company, Goodrich and Goodyear Chemical Companies, Gulf States Utilities, um, Temple East Tex, and Bethlehem Steel, among others. All of these cases led to the, um, the upgrading and promotion of the Black employees involved, as well as substantial awards for back pay. This quest for economic justice continues until this day. So you had Black men here in Beaumont, because at that time they weren't hiring Black women to work in these plants. But of course, the number one um, job you know, employer in this area, still as it is today, were the chemical plants, the petrochemical plants and, and things surrounding this area you know, by, by those companies. Um, and you had Black men who were qualified, many of them with college educations, who were relegated to what they called labor gains, which Mm -hmm. basically meant putting a broom in your hand and a mop in your hand and telling you to get out there and clean up and sweep up um, after everything was done. Um, And so my dad and and Johns filed suit against every um, major employer in this area to make sure that these men were received qualified jobs due to their experience and due to their education. And not only did they win those cases and open up the doors for Black people to move up in the ranks, but they were also awarded um, back pay for the years that these men had been working there and had not received the due pay they should have been given their experience and given their qualifications. So as I said, they, they in many ways effectively almost created the Black middle class in this area because those people then were were able to get the pay that they deserve and were able to move their families and, and move up in terms of their income and their payment. So that's a tremendous thing that I think most people, and particularly people who work in these are, in these refineries and in these plants out here, need to know and probably don't know.
0: Right. You know, I remember that very, very little bit of it. I remember... I couldn't understand why my uncles and my relatives would go to Prairie View and Texas Southern and become engineer and come back to be only could be a school teacher, right? Or you know, or go and work in a game, uh, be a game uh, uh, in the uh, mobile all. At that time, it was uh, Magnolia all. Yeah. So your dad was was a was a pillar in, in this community. He made a difference in the African American community. Not just that, but in civil rights. Accomplishments, and uh we uh, we we're, we're still have a long ways to go. But baby tell you he they made he opened a he opened the door for us, yeah. and I wanted to so much to just kind of bring some history to him, to uh, because our even our generation do not know how hard it was, or uh, because when we grew up, we thought this was was the only this is the, the way we look supposed to live. Yeah. And uh, we we didn't look outside the box because this was it, you know, and we were satisfied, but it was more to it. And right. your dad was a great big part of it. Uh and I just I just had it on my on the back burner say, on my desk and say, hey, I got Elmo Willard. We wanna talk about the history of Elmo Willard. Uh right. and because the people of uh, Southeast Texas, Beaumont, Texas, Southeast Texas need to know their history need to understand that we have a history and and I'm going to I'm going to add a little bit to it cuz I want to slow I want to make sure that folks know that we have history I want to Dave tell us about the 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 the, 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 the route that we had here in Beaumont Texas and what uh, what your dad had to do to fight and fought for us to to have our rights here in Beaumont Texas right
1: yeah. well there were there was there was the main Riot, you know, uh, where someone, of course, was accused of, uh, you know, raping or touching a white woman that turned into a, a huge affair. And uh, um, uh, Gordon Williams uh, did a, a nice uh, film, uh, sort of a fictionalized film of that incident. Uh, weirdly enough, I don't know about weirdly enough, but um, also, the Willard family played a, a part in that. The, the Texas Rangers came down to quell that riot because there was days of bloodshed. Right, so White people were just coming through these areas, coming through Gladys Street, the North End, just snatching up brothers, You know, shooting, killing, the whole thing as those kinds of things usually turned into. And so the Texas Rangers were coming to downtown to try to quell the riots and quiet things down. And um, they were asked, they they asked the city leaders, is there somewhere where we can set up shop when we get to town and do you know uh, we need a family or we need somebody that we can touch base with that has respect on both sides, the white and the black side? Is there anyone that we need to contact? And they said, yes, you need to contact uh, Elmo Willard and talking about my uh, great grandfather at that time. And he's got a house there on Gladys Street. It's not too far from where all the whites and stuff were taken. And so from what I heard as a kid and what uh, Miss Seymour across the uh, street, who lives across the street, Lula Seymour, has told me, this is where um, the Texas Rangers set up camp. Uh, they Their horses were tied up here and they used to sleep in the yard and, and sleep in the vestibule of this house. And then they would go out and try to quell the fights and the riots and the bloodshed that was taking place during the riots. So so that was one thing. And then the other thing that really occurred that I'll kind of end with, I guess, because I imagine we're running short on time, is the desegregation of Lamar University.
0: Yes, we when got that, time. We got time. We got okay. time.
1: Well, <laughs> so that was, as you might imagine, a big thing. It was called Lamar uh, College of Technology at the time. Um, and, um, there were some folks who of course wanted to attend Lamar graduating from Hebert and graduating from Charlton Pollard and were unable to go to Lamar. This was their school right here in their hometown and they were unable to attend it. So they meant they had to go either to Wally or Prairie View or Fisk or wherever they could get into, uh, because they weren't allowed to go to Lamar. And so my dad and John's filed lawsuit against Lamar and it became a, a crazy thing, um, uh, uh, Ed Sprott, uh, who's uh, a doctor and a member of the Sprott family here in Beaumont, uh, he was the head of the NAACP at that time, and he worked really closely with Johns and my dad um, to sort of fight these uh, segregation cases that they did. He and Mr. Sprott, Dr. Sprott, increased the numbers of uh, African Americans in Jefferson County and the NAACP. I think when he took over presidency, there was something like maybe twenty or thirty. Uh, people in the NAACP, he increased that number to, I think, to about 200 members uh, at the time. Um, he and my dad sort of plotted things out. They brought Thurgood Marshall here to Beaumont to speak and to kind of, uh, uh, you know, rally people behind what was what was taking place and the changes that were taking place. And, you know, just to be frank, you know, white folks went crazy when, uh, when they were filing this suit uh, to go to and attend Lamar University. Uh, they blew up a bomb at, at the Sprott residence, right. uh, the Homestead, the, the, the Sprott Homestead residence. They blew off a bomb there. Um, they stoned and tried to bomb uh, the law offices of Johns and Willard there on Washington Boulevard. Um, and they, the Ku Klux Klan burned across. cross. Um, they thought that it was my dad's house. It was actually the, uh, the we lived in an apartment complex on Washington Boulevard that still stands today, uh, but it's in really, really bad repair. And it's been bad shape. But the owners of the apartment complex lived in a, a very nice looking house that's also still there at the corner of Washington Boulevard and Palestine Street. Right. And it was right next door to the apartment complex that we lived in. Well, the Ku Klux Klan, thinking that my dad was a lawyer, thought that we lived in the rental house, thought that we lived in the house owned by the people who owned the apartment building that we lived in. So they rode up one night and they burned across and um, burned across in front of the house and hollered and shouted and said, if my dad didn't get out of town by next evening, by sundown, then they were coming back and they were going to lynch the entire family. And so I heard that story a lot as a kid. My dad sent my brother and I out to my grandmother's house on Plum Street, and my mother and my dad sat up all night with a shotgun waiting for the Ku Klux Klan to come back. And they didn't come back uh, that night. Thank thank goodness for that. Um, When they won the desegregation case for Lamar, uh, Mr. Johns, uh, Attorney Johns, escorted the first African-American students to enroll uh, on the day of uh, registration, and they tried to overturn the car uh, that they were riding in. They came up on campus and uh, white students and, and white protesters were out there and they started rocking the car. they attacked the car and started rocking it and shaking it and and tried to overturn overturn the automobile. And I think what happened was that uh, I think some police escorted them, out of the car and they ended up running towards the registration building uh to get inside and and try to register the the student for for classes but it was it was a crazy time man it was a it was i don't know how they sometimes i think back as to whether or not i'd be able to withstand all that stuff that they went through doing what they did and I, I, I want to say that I would be able to because I'm, I'm raised that way, but you just never know, man. That stuff is crazy. Yeah? Right,
0: right. It's, it was crazy, crazy. And your know, dad, you know, uh, will be in our company and we'll just let, sit there and lay and talk and laugh and joke. And I would listen to all his stories, but I never, uh, I never knew how serious this, we, we were. I mean, I just didn't take it at that time because he never really... Uh, uh, Because he was just a common guy, you know, just the old common guy. He would laugh and drink and have a good time with you. And it's just amazing how much he um, made a difference in our
1: community. David. Never without a gun. My father was never without a a pistol with him. And I used to hear stories about how they would win some cases. Sometimes they would have to try a case, you know, up in the, you know, wooded areas or whatever, because they tried cases all over this area. And the verdict would come in. And he said that he and Johns would look at each other and just say, I'll meet you at the car. <laughs> literally run out of the courthouse, right. you, know, you know, run into the car to try right. to you know, get away and stuff. So, um, so it, it was wild, man. Wow. They, they did a lot. They risked their lives literally. Right. To, to right. Make things better for people in this area. And I hope people appreciate it. And, I hope they know this history and then pass it on to, uh, right. to others. You know? This is why
0: this is, I, I appreciate you, uh, Dr. David Willard, uh, as our guest tonight. Uh, and because we need to know our history, we need to know that it, it was right in our backyard. Uh, and so we can look forward to doing more for, in our community, uh, just like your dad, Ebo Willard, and uh, Bill R. Jones, and the two libraries are, are, are named after those, uh, those two Uh, here in Beaumont, Texas. And uh, it was so great to have you because you share some history to me that I did not know. I I just I I learned something. This is why I have this podcast, Knowledge is Power podcast, so that we can have, learn, and educate each other on um, um, our makeup. Um, And also, I'd like everyone to join us on our um, Knowledge is Power podcast. 365 page that uh, is on Facebook where history of our black history, and black culture posted every day, 365 days a year. Dr. David Willard, thank you so much for being our guest. And I this was what this was, was great, man. This was, was great, great history. Uh the great pioneer leader of Beaumont, Texas, and Southeast Texas, MO Willard, the third. Thank you so much, David.
1: Thank and you God so much, pleasure, man,
0: and and we got to do this again because I enjoyed this. I'll we'll do this again on Black in Black History Month. Anytime, man. <laughs> all anytime, right, anytime. Guys. Thank, thank you so you. much, and everybody. Thank you for joining us on Knowledge of Power Podcast Live. Mm-hmm. Be here, or see here our show, or see our show. Please share it with your friends, neighbors, and loved ones. Let them
1: know that we're here to educate. God bless everybody. Thank My you, guys. Wish. All right, bye bye. Okay, man.